UNICEF Australia acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we live and work and pay our respects to the ancestors who cared for this country and the elders who continue to today. Young people have a lot to say, and it's time we listen. Welcome to Next Gen, a UNICEF Australia podcast that gives young people a platform to speak up on issues they care about. Every episode, I pass the mic to experts and young people as we discuss everything from climate change to mental health and inequality. I'm Ray Johnston, ambassador for UNICEF Australia, STEM journalist, TV presenter, podcaster and climate champion. Over four episodes, I will be speaking with experts and young voices about climate change. What is it? How is it affecting young people? And what UNICEF Australia is doing about it? From West Sydney to West Pakistan, climate change is not a tomorrow problem. It's the greatest threat facing children right now. In our first episode, we're talking all things climate, and I am chatting to Nate Byrne, ABC weatherman. Welcome. Hello. Very good morning to you, Ray. <laughs> also chatting with UNICEF Young Ambassador Denzel. Welcome, Denzel. Hello. Now, UNICEF's Young Ambassador Program, it gives young people like Denzel the opportunity to consult with and advocate for young people across our country and also take policy suggestions to Parliament. Today we're chatting about the wild changing weather patterns, the difference between La Nina and El Nino, and young people's experience and reaction to climate change. Now, Nate, UNICEF's Children's Climate Risk Index, it's revealed that every child in the world is already affected by at least one climate disaster. That's absolutely horrific stats. So can you explain to us the shift in weather patterns that we're seeing more and more? What what exactly is causing this? Well, it's 100% down to having more energy in the system. More heat means that essentially if you think about uh, a trampoline – and you're bouncing on a trampoline. You go up, you go down. You go up, you go down. If you put in more oomph, then you continue bouncing, but you start bouncing higher and lower. That's essentially what we're doing with extra heat. We're putting in more energy, more oomph. So we're starting to see in some places extremes of heat and rain and in other places extremes of lack of heat and rain. Uh, The more energy in the system just means that things are changing from what we used to. And the effects really change depending on where you are around the world. You know, we've just seen that incredible summer in the Northern Hemisphere where fires were raging in places that you don't normally expect. We've got the smallest amount of sea ice on record around Antarctica right now. But it's not even just this year. We've seen for decades slow creeping change. Like uh, Southern Australia, we get about 20% of the rainfall, for the winter rainfall that we used to get back in the 70s. So uh, essentially, it's just the added heat means that systems are moving differently from the way they used to. And that's driving a, a change in weather pattern and also a change in the extremes that we end up with. 
A child today will experience three times more climate disasters than their grandparents. Denzel, for anyone who hasn't been to where you live, how would you describe it? So I'd describe the place very remote, so it's isolated, but it's pretty much dry, uh, lack of rain, unpredicted storms, and sometimes the corrugation on road. It's ridiculous. So what is the vegetation like where you live? What kind of trees do you have around? So the main trees we have is just uh, Australia's best trees, gum trees. Yay. And they're pretty much surrounded by creeks and water sources that dry up, so the leaves start to die off. Um, So there's not really any of the natural resources we need out there. Denzel, in your experience, how has your community been impacted? So essentially my community was impacted by... Um, the climate effects, as would typically at water truckings coming in, we had lack of natural resources and the floodings that would affect the major highways coming into the community. We would see lack of the resources being provided and less support from our local government, which made it even worse for the community. Now, you're young comparatively, but do you remember a time when you didn't have issues like that in your community? Um, not really, since I was still growing up. Yeah. Um, but it sort of expanded over time and you started getting used to the issues coming into the community. Yeah. So how does your community and your generation within your community feel about climate change? I feel as my community doesn't really know much about the climate change issue and crisis that we're going through today. But it's essentially part of the education that we should see coming into our remote communities as they're highly affected and least supported from our major governments. Why do you think that there isn't that connection between the hardships that your community is experiencing and understanding that it is caused by climate change? Um, So I believe there's a lack of education between our local communities and the city. So say you were to come to the city from a remote community, you're going to feel as it's going to be a bit more hotter than it is. Um, But then going back to the community, there's like lack of trees, so you're going to start to feel it. How does it impact your day-to-day living there? You know, when it's a really hot day, how hot is it? Um, It's typically um, 50 degrees sometimes, which is quite warm. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, We typically get day-to-day, but um, because my community runs off a diesel generator, it's typically affected and shuts down in the heat. And the community has like a 50-year lease on the generator, so we can't get anything to do with solar throughout the community. So it's that hot that the generator shuts down? Yep, it overheats. So how do you run air conditioning or anything like that? Um, We don't. We just have to go day by day without um, electricity sometimes. And you're not allowed to have solar on the houses then? No, the only thing we're allowed is solar heating, but that's about it. What do you do on those days that are 50 degrees? You can't have air conditioning. Can you do any work, any schoolwork? Can you concentrate? Not really, because school doesn't have any electricity, no Wi-Fi, so we're pretty isolated at that time of need. So it gets that hot that school shuts down? Yep, practically. Wow. I can understand why you're really passionate about making change in your community then, to be able to put some of these structures in place so you can literally survive where you live. Yep. And it's crazy living there because the water resources we have, um, I used to have water restrictions, so we couldn't shower for too long. But um, 
Until I started advocating with UNICEF, I believe um, some action has been done from the main warden network in South Australia. So do you believe that that might have been as a result of your campaigning? Yep. Um, So right now they got a desalination plant in process, so more fresh water for the community. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. Nate, the temperature of the earth increasing is something that has happened historically in the whole history, the life cycle of our planet. Mm -hmm. Why are we to believe that this cycle is different to previously? Well, okay, a couple of things. First of all, uh, you're absolutely right. Temperatures have been way hotter than they are right now. Carbon dioxide levels have been much, much higher. The thing is that they have that change that, that went from a low to a high temperature, a low to a high carbon dioxide content in the atmosphere, that happened over thousands, tens of thousands of years. What's happened now is, is we've managed to do this in around about a century, about 100 years. We've managed to go from a relatively steady state to all of a sudden a lot more heat. And a degree, a degree and a half doesn't sound like all that much, right? Like, I mean, can you even tell the difference between a, a 19-degree day and a 20-degree day? No, it, it's a hard, Not right? really. Yeah, there's not much in it. But the thing is, when you're talking globally, the atmosphere is huge. Like, the, the bit of air that does just the weather is about 10 kilometres deep and extends all the way around the Earth. But then we've got other layers on top of that, right? The stratosphere and the mesosphere – there is a heck of a lot of atmosphere that's being affected here. When you're trying to boil a kettle, say, it can take, what, two, three minutes to go from room temperature water to 100 degrees Celsius. That's boiling. Uh, In order to do that, we've got to pump in a ton of electricity, turn all that electricity into heat and ram it into the water. And that's only, what, 700 millilitres or maybe a litre worth of water. And it takes a heck of a lot of energy to do that. Do that by one degree, essentially, to the entire atmosphere. It's a heck of a lot of energy. And to be able to do that in just 100 years, that's where the problem comes, especially since while the Earth has been warmer at different times, we haven't evolved in that. We've evolved in the average temperatures of the last, well, as, as humans, we can say a couple of hundred thousand years, but, you know, our ancestors from, of other species, you know, a little bit longer. But, but we, have, we didn't evolve during those times of incredible heat or really, really high carbon dioxide levels. So while the Earth might have dealt with it before, <laughs> as a species, we haven't. And now we've changed our own environment in a super short period of time. Denzel, do you think that there's people in your town that would consider moving because of the heat or have Um, already? So um, I have family members there who are currently packing up to leave. Um, So essentially it's getting hot. Um, The generator shuts down quite frequent and there's no way to push forward and live out in the heat. And because climate change is becoming a problem, uh, it's becoming more hotter in that community than our bodies can deal with. So we're getting sick living there. So um, I'm just hoping the community one day doesn't just shut down from the lack of community members that we have out there. What are you most worried about for future generations in your community and, and all over the world? So I'm mostly worried about the education process of climate change and how young people 
are learning about it as the curriculum in our schools, they don't really provide um, the essential needs for children to learn about climate change. It's just like a brief introduction and then that's it. So there's nothing deeper than just going, this is a thing that exists, moving on. Uh, That's basically it. Um, So I started learning about climate change when I was 12 years old in primary school, and that was living in the city. Then moving to a remote community uh, and feeling isolated at time of need was the most ridiculous feeling. Yeah, I think there's definitely a big education gap there. Nate, where can they pick up the slack, do you think? Well, it's really tricky, isn't it, especially in in a remote community because where city kids have the opportunity to go home and jump on an iPad or, you know, on their device and go and learn more if they want to. So many – I have been in community up in the Territory. There are several where, like, the school might have some Wi-Fi and, like, you know, everyone might gather around uh, near the school fence in order to get a bit of internet. Uh, But – you're doing that to do your basic needs, right? Not to just go and scroll and learn about climate change. There's definitely an education gap. And increasingly, we're going to find that we need to be telling kids about it in school because the reality is they're going to be facing it, right? So prepared, you know, forewarned is forearmed. And that's essentially what we'll have to do. I think in the future, we'll see, especially as you know, the young people of today get through uni and become teachers, we'll see them bringing and introducing more climate change related stuff, which is important because it's something we're all going to need to know about. Mm. And just like you learn how to swim at school, we're going to increasingly have to learn how to survive extreme weather. Yeah. And I think the sources of information about how we're going to do that are are coming from entirely new places Mm. now than they used to. We're not just learning things from textbooks. We're learning things from real people living on the other side of the world, documenting their experiences and posting it to social media. And while school will teach you those critical thinking skills to be able to look at that information and say, is this correct? How can I check it? How can I verify it? How can I use it? The the way that we learn and the range of information that we have is just increasing so much. And I've got a lot of hope for the next generation and and what you're all going to be able to (laughs) achieve. I think you're going to be able to do a lot better than the rest of us, that's for sure. Let's hope the adults in this generation can empower the future generation. Absolutely. So, Nate, what can we expect to happen five years from now, a decade from now, 50 years from now, if we don't make any changes at all? That's a really tricky question to answer with any certainty, which is part of the problem, right? And and part of why a lot of grown-ups have taken a lot of time to get their heads around what's going on because you get different information from different sources. And until you're a scientist, you think like, oh, somebody does a study and then everybody else replicates it and then we all know what's going on and everything agrees. No, no. There's so much science to be done. <laughs> so often a paper's just done once, a, a bit of research is done once. But the thing is, on the whole, on the balance, when you look at everything, you know, you've got ancient tree rings that we're looking at at one place and ice core samples from another place, rock weathering somewhere else. And you put all that together and all of the studies point in one direction, right? That climate change is happening and we're seeing big changes. So um, th- the simple answer to your question is, I don't know, but probably a lot worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this just seems to be all of these 
accelerating events. Yeah. It's, it's like a chain reaction across the globe. Yeah. Look, the thing is, that, like, <laughs> the worst bit is that we don't know what we don't know. The Earth is an incredibly huge and complex interconnected system. Pulling on one string, changing a little dial here or there, adjusting something a little bit can have huge effects. You know, in a changed climate, it's not necessarily going to be bad news in every direction for every single person. There are places that were unlivable that could become livable. There are places we'll be able to grow things we've never grown before. Changing rain patterns for some communities mean they may have water where they didn't before. Other communities maybe will flood less. It's not to say that we want this, right? <laughs> like the the setup we've got now where people choose to live is based on generally their access to resources. And so changing those resources means those places are rapidly becoming more and more unlivable, in some cases, entire nations. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be absolute disaster 100% of the time across the board always. There are places that people will be able to survive and thrive. It's such a complex system. It's really impossible to know for sure. We've just kind of got to deal with it as it comes unless we deal with the root cause of the problem. Absolutely. And you know, humans, we're a part of that system as we well. Are. You know, We are not disconnected from the planet. We are very much a part of it. We so- are. And very adaptable and very resilient. And we will be able to make it through, a lot of us. Yeah. And a lot of us that will be around when those changes are potentially occurring are the Mm. young people of today. So what advice would you have for the young people listening who really want to make a difference to how the climate of the planet is in the future? Don't lose hope, number one. I I haven't, and you definitely shouldn't either. Get, Get smart, study, find the thing that you love and Use it to the best of your ability to to use your voice, to, to, to shout from the rooftops what it is you need. Um, I want young people to engage with politics, to, to – I know it seems boring. You've got better things to do. <laughs> but watch a question time every now and then. <laughs> like, you know, understand some of the laws that are, that are being brought in. And before you vote, really think about what it is you want. Don't just vote with who your parents go for or what your friends are saying – Actually have a look because your voice, even though it seems really small, actually really matters. Denzel, what would you say to young people about how they can get involved? The best thing I'd offer young people is write a letter to your local member of parliament, catch more public transport, um, ease the congestions on our roads and uh, reuse, recycle and eat more seasonal fruit and veggies. So there is definitely things young people can do to help. Yep, heaps of things. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, you both. It's been great. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been super awesome to meet you as well. (laughs) (laughs) And that does bring this episode to a close. Thank you so much for listening. If there's any more information that you would like about anything we discussed in this episode, check out our show notes. You will find more info and links there. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review and a rating. It helps other people find the show. Thanks again. Thanks again.